Hey, this is Brian with Mid-City Vineyard Church. Mid-City Vineyard is located in the heart of New Orleans, Louisiana. We worship on Saturday nights at 6 o'clock on Canal Street at 4302. And we'd love to have you anytime that you are able to make it. If you want to learn a little bit more about Mid-City Vineyard, check us out online, midcityvineyard.org, Facebook, Mid-City Vineyard, and on Instagram, at Mid-City Vineyard. This week... At MCV, we started a new series called MCV Distinctives. Part one is entitled Throwing Parties. And over these next couple of weeks, we'll talk about some of the things that we feel that uh, we want to be really good at as a church community organized and as the church organic. So thanks for checking it out. Look forward to uh, meeting you sometime soon. Much peace to you. Well then, let's jump into uh, something that we're going to spend the next couple of weeks together on. Uh, we're going to start this new series and we're calling it MCV Distinctives. Uh, because as I've been thinking through and, and just trying to figure out, we're, we're moving towards Advent where, we, where the church calendar uh, starts over and for the year and we're going to celebrate that together. But as we're moving towards closing out uh, this year, really processing what kinds of things do, do we need to be talking about as a church. And I've, I've come to some conclusions here after almost two years as a church that there are a couple of things that we want to really be good at here at Mid-City Vineyard. And I, I think that th these are things that we want to be good at as a church, but I also think that these are a, there are a couple of things that I personally really desire to be good at in my own life, and I desire for our church and our people to be really good at. And so we're going to talk about these things over the next couple of weeks, and we're going to look at it from two angles. We're going to look at it from the church organized and the church organic. And what I mean when I say church organized and church organic, uh, this right here, this is, this is the church organized. And when, when we do this here tonight together, this is the church organized. When we do uh, Blessing of the Pets tomorrow, that's, that's what I mean by church organized. They are, they are things that Mid-City Vineyard does as a community of faith together and in our community. The church organic, uh, in, in this particular definition, I, I, I'm, I'm speaking more of how we actually live out the ways of the church together in the community in organic ways, so things that we're we're doing together in our in our on our streets, on our blocks, things that we're we are the ways that we're moving in, in the life of the kingdom as Christians with one another in daily relationship, and how we are inviting others into that space and into that zone. So we have organized and organic, and we're going to look at the these next couple of weeks how these things work for us as a church, and how these things work for us maybe as as um, in ways that we're not doing them together organized as the church. So the way we start this, in, in my, my opinion here, is that we first have to understand a couple of things uh, that Jesus himself was good at, uh, since that's the person that we're following. And we realize that when God comes to earth in the form of Jesus, when Christ comes to earth, God appears and there is a purpose. There's a, there's a true purpose to God coming in the flesh. 
And you, you go to different churches along the way, and you hear different pastors, and, and you'll get slightly different answers on what the, over, uh, on, on what the purpose was. But o- the overarching answer is that Christ came to redeem humanity. Christ came to reconcile humanity. Christ came, uh, one, one catchphrase would be, to seek and to save those which are lost. Uh, the, the phrase that I, I particularly lean towards more than any is that Christ came that we might have life. Now, I, one, of, one of those passages that really locks it in for me is when Jesus says in John 10.10, 10, he says, listen, the thief is here to steal from you and to kill and to destroy. Uh, the thief here could be seen as the accuser, the Satan. The thief here could be seen as uh, the kingdom of darkness. The thief, though, could really ultimately be seen as anything or anyone who is, who is uh, pulling us and, and desiring to, to move us in a way that's not of the kingdom of God. And the kingdom of God is what Jesus came to ultimately inaugurate and to bring and to say, this is where life is. This is where really good, beautiful life is. This is what I've come to give you. This is what I've come to share with you. The mission of Jesus is to inaugurate the kingdom, to implement the kingdom, to reveal the kingdom, to invite people into the kingdom. And when we say kingdom, think way of life. To inaugurate a way of life. To invite people into a way of life. And Jesus comes doing those things. And then Jesus actually calls a people to himself. And he says, follow me. And when you come and follow me, I want you to do the same thing. Invite people into a way of life. Show people that there is a different way than being controlled by greed, being controlled by success, getting their value from their job, uh, getting their value from how much money they have, uh, from from being driven in your life by envy and anger and holding grudges. But Jesus says there's there's a better way, there's a more beautiful way. There's the way of life. And so he says, follow me. And so we learn from Jesus how to actually invite people how we actually are called to live. So how did Jesus ultimately live? That, that would be a question that we should uh, regularly go back and, and kind of ponder. How did Jesus ultimately live? How did Jesus ultimately invite people into his world? And the way he did it is, is that Jesus actually lived his life for the sake of other people. Jesus lived his life, a life that was poured out for the sake of other people, for the sake of the world. The interesting thing that I I have come up with my understanding of, of Scripture is that Jesus did not try to cognitively convince people to follow him. Jesus did not try. Now, Paul, when you read through the Scriptures, Paul was kind of more of a debater, Paul was one who, who was more of a philosopher, and, and he, he, he uh, used that approach a little bit more. But Jesus, you often see, Jesus doesn't try to cognitively convince anybody of anything. Jesus actually uses his everyday ordinary life to show people what this new way of life, what this kingdom life looked like to invite people into it. Jesus used his life to actually create space for people that allowed people to be with Jesus. What kinds of people? All kinds of people. Just the holy people? Actually, mostly not the holy people. All the other people. 
Jesus created space in his life so that people could see him, so that people could experience him, so that people could touch him, so that people could rub shoulders with him. And so I would suggest that today, for us, to cognitively try to convince people that Jesus is good, or to cognitively try to convince people that Jesus is God, or to cognitively try to convince people that they, as the church has often said, are sinners and need to be forgiven, to cognitively try to convince people of this, to, in my opinion, is to do people no favors. Because these, these ways do not create pathways of transformation for people. And ultimately, I see, I see my role as, as a Christian as one who creates space and creates pathways for transformation for people. I, I will not ever transform anyone, myself included. Where, how do we experience transformation? We, create, we experience transformation in our hearts and souls and minds and guts when the Spirit of God is present when there's space where the Spirit of God can speak and move and ebb and flow. So what we're called to do is show people the kingdom. And we show people the kingdom by living the kingdom, by allowing our lives to be given for the sake of other people, creating space for people. Now, Jesus was really really big on people. Would you agree with that? And Jesus was big on people. If we were just to go through the book of Luke, which is uh, probably one of my, my favorite gospels, but if we just a quick, a quick jump through the book of Luke, we, we find that Jesus is regularly with people. In Luke chapter 5, we see that Jesus calls his friend Levi to follow him. Then Levi throws a party, and Jesus goes to the party with all of Levi's friends. We see in Luke chapter 7 that Jesus is actually eating dinner with the Pharisees at their home. We see in Luke chapter 10 that he goes to the house of Mary and Martha and he eats with them and their brother Lazarus. He eats dinner with the Pharisees again in Luke chapter 14 and Luke chapter 19. He goes and he finds this little short guy up in a tree named Zacchaeus. And he says, Zacchaeus, come down because I want to go, you know the song, if you, if you grew up with felt Jesus in... Uh, in uh, <laughs> Uh, in church school, you know what the song is. He, he ate with Zacchaeus and went to Zacchaeus' home. In Luke 24, after the resurrection, Jesus walks the road to Emmaus with a couple of people, and he goes to their home, and he eats dinner with them. Over and over again, we see him with his disciples. We see him on the side of the mountains. He would teach, but then he would tell his disciples, hey, let's, let's get some food together, and let's, let's have a party, and let's feed our friends. Jesus was really big on people. And it's interesting that Jesus rarely, now he did meet people in the synagogue, but rarely did he meet people in the synagogue as compared to in the streets, at other people's homes, at parties, at weddings, in the community. Jesus met people at funerals. I mean, he just used all of the opportunities. He would set up shop on the hillside and he would meet people and interact with people and create space. For people. And then in Matthew 28, Jesus says, right before he ascends into the heaven, he says to the disciples, he says, now here's what I want you to do. 
You've been watching me for the last three years. You've been watching how I do it. You've been watching me go to parties. You've been watching me teach in the synagogue. You've been watching me go to funerals. You've been watching me eat with the Pharisees. You've been watching me as we make campfires and we spend time together. You've been watching, watching, watching. You've seen how I heal people. You've seen how I set people free from, uh, uh, from, from envy and greed and all these different things. Now, I want you to go, Matthew chapter 28, and I want you to go and make disciples. Teach people all the things that I've taught you. Teach them to obey my ways. Baptize people in the name of the Father and the Son and the Holy Spirit. And as you go and you do these things, I will be with you always. It's called, in church circles, it's called the Great Commission. It's Jesus commissioning disciples now to go out. My question has always been, what must one do to make a disciple? What must one do to make a disciple? My, my, uh, my deeper question is, did the disciples know that they were being made? Did the disciples know that they were being made? Now, they were told, hey, come and follow me, and I will make you a fisher of men. But what does that mean? I mean, they were fishers. Fisher. They were fishers. They, these guys were fishers. These guys were, were fishermen, and they knew what it was to catch fish. But you, you have to think, if someone tells you, hey, look, you've been catching fish, and now I'm going to teach you how to catch men, and you've not ever heard anything like that before because you didn't grow up for the last, whatever, 30 years in church, what is that? That's weird. My, my thought is that they probably had no idea. They knew that Jesus was some type of rabbi. These guys were Jews. They understood that he was a good teacher, so they thought, hey, well, We'll hook our cart to this horse for a while and see where it takes us. We'll see what happens. But did they know they were being made? Personally, and you can disagree, that's, that's fine. But personally, no. I, I think that they were just, they liked this guy. Because Jesus was fun. Jesus was energetic. Jesus was passionate. Jesus was reverent. Jesus was holy. Jesus was exciting to be around. Jesus was loving and Jesus was merciful. Jesus would challenge them. So I think that there was something about this Jesus guy where the disciples are like, yeah, uh, you know, the last wedding we went to turned out pretty good, you know, because he did that whole wine thing. So let's go to another one with him and let's go hang out with him at our houses because he apparently didn't have one. And let's, you know, did they know they were being made? I would suggest no. But I would say that over time, they began to realize that something, was taking place in their hearts. Something was taking place in their minds and in their thoughts. Because when you spend time with Jesus, things begin to change. When you begin to realize that this Jesus accepts you. When you begin to realize that this Jesus doesn't hold your stuff against you. When you begin to realize that this Jesus understands that you are an incredibly envious person. And not only is this Jesus not upset with you, but desires to help you because this Jesus knows that envy is killing you. And so this Jesus continues to say, hey, well, why don't you come on over and let's build a fire again. And let's hang out together. And let's eat more fish. And let's have more conversation. And then tomorrow I'm going to go and I'm going to teach. And I want you to come with me and... Let's go experience that together. I think that discipleship is caught. Now, along the way, Jesus would teach things also. Okay, so this is a, there is a both and. But ultimately, I believe that 
this stuff was caught by the disciples. So if discipleship is formed in relationship, it involves for us following the ways of Jesus, and I would suggest that following the ways of Jesus means that we begin to figure out what it looks like to open our lives to other people. Now, some of us do this already very, very well, and others of us probably need the challenge here. But as a church, our desire is that we would be the kind of people who are creating spaces where we can interact and be in the lives of others all around. And that we would be the kind of church that allows ourselves to be poured out for the sake of those around us. Now, the ancient Christian Christian tradition calls this hospitality. And If you think about hospitality these days, uh, hospitality has become something these days, I think that it's lost much of the art that Christians have traditionally understood hospitality in. So for instance, today we have the hospitality industry. You can go to school and you can major in HRT, Hotel, Restaurant, and Tourism Management, which is all part of the hospitality ministry. And they will teach you how to manage a a hotel or how to manage a restaurant. They will teach you how to uh, have a great concierge and how to have wonderful uh, hosts and hostesses and and all these things because this is what makes hospitality and, and how when they walk into your restaurant, you have the music at the perfect volume so that it's conducive to a, a wonderful dinner and the, the lighting is perfect and, and everything works just perfect because that is the form of hospitality. And actually, I think that is amazing and that is needed and that is part of it. In church, we have hospitality teams and the hospitality team traditionally makes make sure they get there early and they make sure that we have coffee and they make sure that they say hi to people and smile and hand them a handout when they get to church. And that is how we have encapsulated hospitality. But traditionally, especially in the Christian tradition, hospitality goes so much deeper. It includes those things, but it goes deeper to the place that hospitality is actually creating a space. Hospitality is creating a space for people to be known and to know the other person. Hospitality is is to create a space where people understand uh, in true hospitality, there's a sign of something bigger. There's a sign of hope. True hospitality shows that Uh, that hope and love are actually possible because it breaks down the walls between two human beings and it it allows you into my space and me into your space. Hospitality says to the world, true hospitality, that the world is not condemned to continue to struggle just between the oppressor and the oppressed. True hospitality says that racism does not have a place in this area and in this space and in this place. Hospitality says that we can cross over racial and economic barriers and, and, and I am for you and you are for me and you're welcome in this space. It goes way beyond, do you want a cup of coffee? Now I think it might start with, do you want a cup of coffee? Because that's the start of the breaking down of the walls. But it goes deeper than that. Hospitality is a gift 
that we give to the other person. Where we open up spaces and we open up places. We can practice hospitality, this ancient art form, in our homes. We practice this in our church. We practice this in our communities. We practice this in our country. Whatever country you reside in, we live in this one. But you practice this in all places. This, uh, this coming Tuesday night, October 17th, is National Night Out Against Crime. I, I was posting this on some of our Facebook pages along the way. And so we decided that in our neighborhood, we're going to do a, have a block party uh, because it's a super easy excuse. Hey, it's National Night Out, Out Against Crime. We're going to do a block party this Tuesday night. Uh, so we made up flyers. We talked to our immediate neighbor. We made up flyers uh, for the two-block uh, span from our house. And then Zoe, my daughter Zoe and I, we went up and down the street, and we handed out these flyers to everyone. And we live in a, a highly diverse uh, neighborhood. And so as Zoe and I are walking around, uh, it was incredibly fascinating because we went to one block further down that we haven't met anyone. And Zoe would knock, and it's hard if you haven't met Zoe, uh, you need to meet Zoe, but it's hard to tell Zoe no, So uh, mostly because she won't let you. Uh, that's something that we've learned. So Zoe would knock on the door, and they'd open the door, and, and Zoe would say, you have to come to our party next week. <laughs> and they would say, oh, okay, and, and we, we would strike up these conversations, and it was amazing because it didn't matter, white, black, or Hispanic, and we, we have many more black and Hispanic folks on our street than white, and so it didn't matter the color, it didn't matter the, the gender, none of these things mattered. The, the people were so open and receptive to, to this little girl and this man standing on their porch saying, would you come to our house? We're going to have hot dogs, and you just bring your own beer, you bring your own chair, and bring a bag of chips to share with the neighborhood, and we'd like to have you over. And every single person said they were coming. Now, it's not until Tuesday, that's yet to be seen, and I know that. But by, by simply taking that initiative and by taking that step towards and creating that, that space, I think, honestly, it's going to open up, I really believe it's going to open up uh, amazing opportunities and doors. And you might say, for what? And I would say, to live life with people. That's my goal. That's my goal here. Well, are you going to try to get them to give their lives to Jesus? No. I want to live my life with people. Because the more I live my life with people, I am firmly convinced that the more people recognize and see and experience the spirit of the divine in our relationships, people will begin to move more towards the life of the kingdom. I used to be taught that we had to do it quickly because Jesus is coming back soon and we got to get people, uh, I think the word we used all the time, save, save, save. And I'm like, listen, people have been preaching that message for 2,000 years. So I'm taking my time. And I'm firmly convinced that Jesus can work this out with people. He decides to come back tomorrow. And I want to invite people into a space and a place where they can experience love and mercy and grace and life of the kingdom of God. And I want to model it after what I think I see Jesus doing. In hospitality, the stranger, whoever the stranger is, is welcome. They're welcome into this space. And just as Jesus invited and included and welcomed us, so we do that for others. In Luke chapter 5, we read about Levi. Levi experiences this. 
Micah, if you have that passage right there, check this out. So in Luke chapter 5, after this, Jesus goes out and he saw a man named Levi at his work collecting taxes. So Levi worked for the IRS. And Jesus says, hey, Levi, why don't you come with me? And Levi did. He walked away from everything and he went with him. Levi gave a large dinner at his house for Jesus. And everybody was there, the tax people and the other uh, dis disreputable characters as guests at the dinner. And the Pharisee and their, religions, their religious scholars came, his disciples, greatly offended. What is he doing eating and drinking with crooks and sinners? And Jesus heard about what they said. And Jesus says, who needs a doctor? The healthy people or the sick people? I am here inviting outsiders. I'm giving an invitation to a changed life. That's what I'm doing. I'm inviting people who are held down by their greed. I'm inviting people who are held down by their addictions. I'm inviting people who don't like themselves. I'm inviting people who are held down in their communities, who are marginalized. I'm inviting people to a changed life. This is what Jesus is doing. Jesus is creating space for people. I love that Levi is the one that throws the party and invites Jesus. And I love the people that Levi invites to the party. Do you realize that at some point Jesus was actually um, accused of being a drunk and a glutton by the religious people? They said, who is this guy? He's a drunk and he's a glutton. And do you know why he was accused of that? It was because of the people he hung around with. So sometimes it makes me wonder that if super religious people aren't accusing us of being gluttons and drunkards because of the company we keep, we might be doing it wrong. If we don't have anyone to hang around with who is not connected to Christ, we might have gotten ourselves too tight into a Jesus bubble. And we should really begin to investigate that and think about that. Because if we're supposed to be salt and light, if we're called to be salt and light, you know, I mean, this, what we do here on Saturday night, we need this, I, I, I believe, and, and I want this. I want this in my life. But if we only do this seven days a week, 24 hours a day, then we've kind of taken our salty and light selves out of the community in which we live where there are a lot of people who need to experience a different way of life. And how might they experience if not through us? So how will we do this in, in, in closing here? I think that as a church, at organized and organic, that we need to look to the ways of Jesus and think, what does it look like to open up my life and create space for others? It involves opening our life it involves opening, I, I believe, our homes. I believe it involves opening our calendars. I believe it involves opening our spaces. Of all of those, I think the hardest one just now was to open up our calendars because we're a busy people. But if we're not able to open up our calendars in order to do this, then I, you'll never open up your home. We'll never open up our, 
our, our, our community of faith gatherings and things like that. We won't open up our spaces if we can't open up our calendars. Maybe we need to start there. We open these places up and we look for the places where we might begin to um, invite others to experience life with us and or where we might be able to accept their invitations to experience life with them. I used to think the only way Christians could do this is if they did all the hosting. But I'm quickly learning that, you know what, there's something very beautiful and sacred about being a guest at the party and cooperating with the space that the Spirit of God is already, uh, the Spirit's already there, okay? The Spirit of God's everywhere. The Spirit's already present. So when you get invited to the party, just get there and cooperate with what God is doing. Look for what God is doing. I think that I want, no, I know that I want us as a church to be really good at throwing parties. We actually started this church through throwing parties. The very first thing we ever did was the table at Monkey Monkey, and we just opened the doors and we invited people to come and, and eat dinner and have conversation. This church was, was started on throwing parties, and it is our desire that this church would be a church that's really good at throwing parties. And by throwing parties, we are really, we're, we're creating space where we can share life with people. I want us to be good at throwing parties as the church organized. And I want us to be good at throwing parties as the church organic in our own neighborhoods, in our day-to-day. What if we were really amazing at welcoming people? Really amazing at it. What if we were really good at not preaching, not correcting, not judging, not harming, but we were really good at being in relationship with people? And so here would be my challenge and my thought for us on a way forward. First, for the church, organized, for us. We open our doors. And why are we doing the blessing of the pets? Some of you have asked me, like, what's the deal with the pets? This has nothing to do with the pets as far as I'm concerned. This has everything to do with connecting with people. People who, you know, just, just so we can build relationships. That's why I've been pushing our church so much to be there regardless of whether you have a pet or not, because this is an opportunity for us to be practicing and to practice hospitality, to practice creating space in our calendars and in our lives for other people. And we will bless uh, some pets. I don't know how many, but I'm telling you, I'm telling you, <laughs> my neighbor said, are you going to the blessing of the pets? Yes, I'll be there. The guy at the coffee house the other day said, uh, yeah, man, I just heard about this blessing of the pets thing. Have you heard about this? Yes. He says, yeah, my wife and I are so excited. We're going to be out there. <laughs> I was like, oh, it's amazing. <laughs> do you know what they do at a blessing of the pets? And I said, I have no idea. <laughs> we desire to start opening our home more often on Red Bean Mondays, not just for our community of faith, but for you to bring your friends. If you have friends and neighbors and family members who you just want to bring to eat a bowl of beans, bring them on Red Bean Mondays. When we do Bulldogs on the first Thursday of the month, bring your friends to Bulldog Thursday. Now, if Ryan brings his friend to Bulldog Thursday, may I remind all of us, because I think everyone here is is a follower of Jesus, may I remind all of us that all of us play in creating that space. It's not Ryan's job just because he brought his friend, but may we all recognize the work of the Spirit in this moment, and may we all move towards just creating space where we engage conversation, where we pour ourselves out for the sake 
of one another and for the other. We're going to do another table in the near future, probably in the beginning of 2018. We're going to rent Monkey Monkey again, and we're going to, we're going to do another six to eight week uh, table and conversation where we serve dinner and we do that whole thing. Uh, I think that's a way we open the doors. We're going to do the chili cook-off coming up uh, on November 12th. Bring your friends. These are, just, these are just opportunities for us to make friends, create space. Here on Saturday nights, I know we have a hospitality team, but may I challenge all of us that you're all the hospitality team? Everybody is hospitality. Everybody in the, the community of faith has a responsibility to creating space and opening our hearts to other people and to new people and to those who the Spirit brings t- this way. And then org- organically on your end, what, what kinds of things could, could you maybe be doing? Well, I, I encourage you to do a block party Tuesday night. Use it as an excuse to get four, four or six of your neighbors to come over to your house and cook up some hot dogs and just meet people. It's, that's, that's one of the ways that we create space in our life. Uh, have your own Red Bean Monday on the off weeks. Invite your neighbors for red beans and rice. If you don't know people, get out and know people. Create space and create relationships. Uh, you know, we, uh, we special, special ordered Hurricane Nate last week so that we could have hurricane parties with our neighbors. You know, it was kind of like we spent all of Saturday and all of, all of Sunday uh, with our neighbors. It was really, it was incredible. Just, just such a great time. Uh, there are so many opportunities, but, but may we not just retreat in, but allow our lives to be shared with others. I think that welcome is a sign that a community is alive and well. And I would say to you guys, I think we do this well. I really do. I think this community of faith does this well, and I want to do it even better. So we're going to look for more opportunities to throw more parties organized and organic. Last thing, I heard this quote the other day. The first step in making a place for hospitality is to make room in our own hearts. Whether or not we can always find room in our homes, welcome begins with dispositions characterized by love and generosity in our own hearts. And so, our desire here, Mid-City Vineyard Distinctive, number one, is that we would be really good at following Jesus' lead, throwing parties, going to parties, and that's code word, I guess, for creating space in our lives for people that Jesus cares deeply for, deeply for, and inviting people through our lives, and I believe eventually our words, to a, a new way of life like a real way of life that's characterized by love and mercy, grace and beauty, forgiveness and kindness and goodness, generosity, and on and on. Amen?